0: Hey everybody, Josh Sigurdsson of World Alternative Media here and we are joined by Derek Bros of The Conscious Resistance as well as The Last American Vagabond. You can find the links in the description for theconsciousresistance.com. He's also an author and we have a lot to get into today because he has been covering the fluoride lawsuit in San Francisco and it's a, a major lawsuit that I, a lot of people aren't really covering. They should be covering it because it is, its it could literally save people's lives. In my opinion, when you take out hydrofluous acid out of the water, I believe you are prolonging people's lifespans. It's considered one of the most deadly chemicals um, that humans interact with on a daily basis, according to people from the National uh, Cancer Institute, etc. Little known fact, World Alternative Media started uh, 11 years ago as a anti-fluoride activist group called Fluoride Free Winnipeg up in Canada. And we tried to sue and we faced corruption issues. We, We faced a lot. And uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, Derek has to say about this today. But first I wanted to ask you, Derek, um, what is it about fluoride that should concern the average person if they don't
1: yet know about it already? Sure, you know, before I do that, interesting that you shared about Fluoride Free Winnipeg, man. because one of my first things back in 2010, when I was still in Houston, Texas, the first group I started was called Fluoride Free Houston. It was definitely one of the first first issues I've, I have started to wake up to uh, largely because of the old school info wars back in the day. There's poison in the tap water, stuff like that. But yeah, for those who are not aware, as you mentioned, uh, the actual name of the product that we call fluoride that is put in the water currently in the United States and now the UK announcing they're going to probably start. Canada is, is studying it right now to consider where they're going to expand their program. That substance is more correctly known as hydrofluorosilicic acid. There's also calcium fluoride there's sodium fluoride there's others and there's naturally occurring fluoride like that actually just comes out of the earth and Mm -hmm. all of these all of them have been associated with harm that's important to get that out of the way first of all because i see sometimes some people kind of trying to draw a distinction yeah but you got to distinguish between what they add in the water which is a byproduct of aluminum phosphate mining largely coming from in the united states from florida from this company mosaic co and there's another one hawkins incorporated uh, and they sell that to cities like Houston and other places. In Houston, I know the contract is a million dollars per year to, that the city pays to add this uh, toxin into the water supply. And in Houston, when you're actually paying your water bill, the money you pay for the water bill goes to the fluoride fund. So literally by paying your water bill, you're paying to put poison in the water. And um, yeah, so that's important to understand. There's multiple types of fluoride, but all of them have been studied and associated with harm. But the one that we're specifically going to talk about today is hydrofluorosilic acid added to the water of the drinking uh, water supply in the United States. And that's been happening since the late 40s, really the 50s, and if you look up the CDC's top 10 public health achievements of the 20th century, along with vaccines, you'll see water fluoridation. So it's one of these things that is held up as, you know, unquestioned, you should, anybody who challenges it is some kind of quack, they don't understand science, et cetera, because it's been happening now for about 80 years, but really, when you get into the history and you you look at the beginning of it, which I would recommend a book called The Fluoride Deception by a journalist Christopher Bison Bryson, the really amazing book. Um, but when you look into the history of it, it, it has all the same players that we've known. You've got um, you know funding from the industries I mentioned, the phosphate, in the beginning it was Alcoa, it was an aluminum company. Uh, then working with the American Dental Association, there's e- even some Edward Bernays in there to help them get the message out to the American people and convince them that fluoride hardens your teeth and you know without it, everybody's just gonna have cavities. And all of this information has been debunked through actual science, even a study that just was published this last week uh, called the Lotus study, which is in the UK, where, because again, they're, they're considering adding fluoride to the UK now. And the, the UK's own L- Lotus study just confirmed again that there's no uh, measurable difference in terms of you know, reducing cavities. So even that propaganda, you can throw out the window, right? So it, you, know, you can't say naturally flu- natural fluoride is good for you or that it's good for your teeth. It, it is a toxin. And this lawsuit, as we're going to talk about today, is all about trying to prove that in a federal court for the first time.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they're using the same kind of propaganda in the UK right now as they're trying to roll this out that they did back in the 50s and 60s in the United States and Canada, which is essentially that it hardens the teeth. And they're saying, hey, to to telling British people, hey, you know, we're famous for having bad teeth. We need to fix our teeth. We we put fluoride in the water. But if you look at studies between places, for example, in Canada, uh, Calgary and Vancouver, Vancouver not having fluoride in the water, Calgary did. The cavity rate was almost double in Calgary. And yet they say that it was... Uh, it, it's all about stopping cavities in children. It's absurd. And if people have never heard of dental fluorosis talking about hardening the teeth, it's literally the opposite, but nonetheless, there, we could go into that all day, Derek. This is a really interesting story in uh, San Francisco that's happening right now. And um, it's, it's not getting the media attention that it should be getting considering the the, uh, scale of this lawsuit and what it what it entails. So, can you kind of go into um, the lawsuit and and you roughed it in San Francisco uh, for uh, for a couple weeks there. I want to hear everything there is to know about this lawsuit, the doctors, everyone that's speaking out to try and um, save people's health going down the line in the water supply.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks again, Josh, for, for, you know, boosting the signal a little bit here, because we need more, not only mainstream, at this point, there's not going to be any mainstream coverage, I can tell you, but uh, even more independent media coverage is, is important. So this whole situation started back in 2016, which just is another example of how slow the system moves. Uh, in the United States, there was a bill passed uh, years ago called the Toxic Substance Control Act, and this is under the EPA. It allows Uh, regular people to petition the EPA to file a petition and say, Hey, we believe this product, this toxin, this compound, this chemical is uh, toxic and this way. And then you provide your evidence and you, you know, the EPA In the ideal world, they read it, they respond to it. If you're correct. And you know, you provide evidence, they investigate it and then they're supposed to um, either ban or regulate, you know, whatever the compound is. So the fluoride action network, which is one of the longest advocates, um, in the United States that have, their organization is just, I mean, they, they, they really, there's no way to really just emphasize how much work they've done since yeah. the early 2000s. They've been leading the way. They have probably the world's largest database on fluoride studies in the world. And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's just amazing work. So it was uh, founded by Paul Connett, And uh, I know his wife, Ellen Connett was involved in that. And their son, Michael Connett. he is uh, an amazing attorney and he is the one who helped file this petition of the epa and along with uh, moms against fluoridation food and water watch and then there was a couple of individual mothers who were also listed as plaintiffs right. so they filed their petition under Tosca in 2016. the epa banned it um and then they basically filed a lawsuit saying that the epa had improperly rejected the petition and so that started back then 2016 going to 2017. For the first couple of years, there was you know, course moving slow, procedural stuff, but it finally went to trial in the summer of 2020. That was when I first started reporting on it for the last American Vagabond. Anybody who goes there, you can check out my author page, and we have a specific page just for the fluoride trial, and there's about four pages of articles I've written over the last four years. Uh, the, in 2020, of course, it was COVID, everything was locked down, so the court case was all Zoom, and there was about, I think, seven or eight days of uh, testimony over a two-week period. And I basically just attended the, the, you know, the court via Zoom and was doing live tweeting, taking notes and writing articles and all that sort of stuff. And there was a lot of revelations, really powerful information that came out then. The main story here, that you know, I'm gonna hit a couple of points, but the, one of the first takeaways is that the US government's own program, the National Toxicology Program, the NTP, which is under the NIH, uh, they had a draft report that in 2020, it wasn't, wasn't public yet but we knew that they were studying uh, fluoride and trying to show if it was a neurotoxin or not. They were doing what's called a, um, basically a monograph where they review all the data that's available and they kind of categorize it of low risk of bias studies, high quality, low quality, and they find the best studies and then review all that data and then present their information. So in 2020, when the first uh, part of the trial was happening, we had Dr. Philippe Grandjean, who's a Danish scientist. He is one of the leading experts in the world on mercury toxicity. It's actually his data that the U.S. government used to develop their um, protocols for uh, lead toxicity and for mercury toxicity. So you had him testifying. You had uh, Dr. Kathleen Thiessen and a few other experts testifying on the side of the Fluoride Action Network. And then, of course, the government, the EPA, they had their own experts to come share and basically at the end of that hearing in 2020 the judge said uh let's put this on hold because we have this ntp study coming out and at the time it was thought okay it's just going to take a couple more months maybe a year at most and the judge was like look this is this huge government funded study it's happening right now it's relevant we probably shouldn't make a decision until then so he said let's put it on pause and that's where things ended in august 2020 well, here we are, 2024, and it's just restarted. Over the last three years, it's pretty much been on hold as the judge was waiting for the study to come out, waiting for the study to come out, nothing's coming out. And then because of this lawsuit, one of the beautiful things is Michael O'Connor and his team, they they actually get to do discovery and the court. And for those who understand discovery, you get to ask for all kinds of documentation. You get to subpoena people, depositions. And so they've been filing open records requests, getting all kinds of data. And in, in the last couple of years, since the last trial break, um, I've been following that and reporting, and the big news, Josh, that everybody needs to take away is that these emails, which came from the CDC's Oral Health Division and came from the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, specifically say that Assistant Secretary of Health in the United States, Rachel Richard Levine, was responsible for blocking the release of the study. So while the judge was like, let's put things on hold till the study comes out, behind the scenes, the scientists at the NTP said that their study was ready to come out in May, 2022. We have all the emails where they clearly say, we're ready to publish it. We're gonna post it on our servers. And then behind the scenes, uh, you know, at the same time, there's these emails between the CDC and other departments saying, this study is never coming out. We can't let it out. And uh, we only know about that because of these emails. And here we are today, you know, going into March, 2024, and that study still hasn't been released. We, through the lawsuit that we did get the draft version, the May 22 draft version of it. But, and it does say clearly that higher fluoride exposure is associated with lower IQ in children, especially prenatal and even right after postnatal. But that's not the official policy of the U.S. government because that's just a draft report that other elements of the U.S. government are saying isn't ready for release. While the scientists themselves have said, this report is done, we think it's quality, we think it's ready to go. And so that's kind of been the battle the last couple of years. And then now as we come back into court, the judge did rule that the draft version would be allowed in court, and he would give it, you know, the full weight of the evidence, even though it wasn't the final version. So I'll, I'll pause there. Really we can talk more about what's happened lately.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, Rachel Levine is, is part of deep sixing this study. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting because then the question remains um, who are these people paid by? Yeah. Okay. The government, but I mean, who is getting involved trying to stop this from going forward and why, because I, I do know that that fluoride um acid is banned from a lot of toxic waste dumps. I mean, because it is so incredibly toxic, the the um, the materials that are smelted, they can't dump it in a lot of places. So there is a lot of uh, re- there's a lot of reason why a lot of these companies want to be able to sell it off and get it, you know, to I guess pharmaceutical corporations. What what who is selling it off? Who is doing this? Who
1: is trying to pay off these people? In your opinion, anyway. Well, so this is one of, over the last two weeks that I've been in, in San Francisco, I did get to interview three of the scientists that were the expert witness, Dr. Howard who, Dr. Philippe Grandjean, Dr. Bruce Lanfear, as well as Michael Conant, the lead attorney. And you can find those interviews at theconsciousresistance.com. And I asked this question to the scientists and to um, to Michael Conant. And again, go, you know, What Michael Connett told me and what I think is pretty accurate is, look, we have probably more documentation from the beginning of fluoride, water fluoridation showing it was Alcoa, it was the ADA, it was uh, Everburnese and stuff like that they've got a little better at hiding their tracks these days. Now that as we see with these emails reveal kind of what's going on behind the scenes. But what I have noticed is besides industry, which would be the aluminum industry um, those like that, because as you mentioned, they're actually, they would have to dispose of this toxic waste and pay money to do that instead of getting paid by governments, local governments to put it in the water. But then on top of that, you have, what I've noticed is you have this sort of battle of the sciences, the People within the dental health division and oral health, like the CDC's oral health division, they clearly have um, a a bias in this, and they clearly have a a stock in this. They want water fluoridation. Even though they're promoting fluoridation in a different way, they're not doing water fluoridation, they still don't want any studies to come out that make fluoride look bad because that would impact their business, and so, for example, one of these emails show as well that The ADA was actually sent this study before the Fluoride Action Network was sent. So behind the scenes, they're making sure the ADA gets everything, but then they're kind of keeping it from the public. So the American Dental Association is definitely still a big influence besides industry. And what I'm seeing is you've got like the dental health scientists and they're fighting the uh, environmental, uh, scientists, the, uh, epidemiologists and the environmental toxicity scientists, like most of the witnesses that were brought in to trial the last two weeks, that's the background they have. So you have these environmental toxicity researchers who are trying to really do the science and saying, guys, there's something here, there's some problems here. And then you've got this dental oral health kind of contingent that is basically downplaying anything that makes fluoride look bad. And then of course, you know who I don't know who gives, uh, like Rachel Levine is pretty much at the top of the line of uh, there in terms of her specific part of the NIH. And above that, you would have whoever replaced Fauci. Um, and then of course, Francis Collins and other people like that, that we've saw been really involved with COVID. These are some of the same people. We don't have emails pointing to them, but we have Richard Wojciech, who's the NTP director. He said that he was involved in blocking it and he claimed, well, it's because it's not ready for release. We have another email that specifically says... A uh, assistant secretary of health Levine says this is not coming out, you know, I mean, so there was clearly other communications. And And that's why I think this is so such a big story that more people need to be paying attention to, even if you know, like, yes, I've known fluoride's bad for years, but now we're finally getting some some more pieces of the puzzle. This is like detailed information that show us not only the data that fluoride is a neurotoxin, and I can talk more about some of the details, because I I mean, I've been, as I mentioned earlier, I've been researching fluoride for a decade now, but I definitely learned some more information through the, the lawsuit, just because these are the leading researchers doing the latest studies showing that how harmful this is, and showing that, just for example, that as the pregnancy progresses by the third trimester, a mother who is consuming fluoridated water, plus all the other sources, Is just getting such a high level of intake of fluoride, and that fluoride is storing in her bones. And then, as her baby tries to form its skeletal structure, the baby pulls all the calcium out of the mom's bones, but the calcium has been deplaced by fluoride. So, the baby's pulling all that fluoride right into their system through the placenta, the blood brain barrier. I mean, it's really disturbing, man. I know you know this, and a lot of the audience, but I think we need to get this information out to more people because this is happening in a federal courtroom, and there hasn't been a single mainstream report on it at all not even to make fun of it not even to just the only people who reported on it i think we got one science magazine article and then uh bloomberg law which is like yeah. very specialized for lawyers nobody really reads it you know but other than that this information is not getting to the public
0: well and, and this is a, a major issue because people might th- say well hey i don't even i don't drink fluoride i drink perfectly filtered water well do you shower if you get in a shower you're getting it through your pores i mean this is something that is almost unavoidable unless we get rid of it and um, at least to some degree and it's one of the most difficult things to filter out of water uh, fluoride it's it's the more you boil it the more concentrated it gets it becomes a really big issue now this is um, you know akin to the exposure of lead and asbestos and you know different things like that that people have seen microplastics et cetera that we've seen um, in in the food supply water supply in the past uh, kids toys et cetera. You'd think that you know climate envoy John Podesta would be really worried about this as an environmental type disaster, but it seems they're too busy trying to bury trees to stop climate change um, to <laughs> think about you know <laughs> to think about you know poisoning the water. Which by the way, in my studies uh, in Canada years ago, I, I found that though they say there's a certain amount of parts per million in the water, they are, they, they, they're swinging that study in their own, in their own direction. Because in reality, when you test at different points in the water, you find different parts per million and they always go by the lowest possible amount they can legally um, so that they can get away with saying to the public, yeah, it's only this point zero, 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 whatever. The, the reality is it's often 10 to 15, even 20 times higher Rate of fluoride in the tap water, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, than what they're saying it is. So it's it's extremely dangerous going forward. Uh, Derek, um, before we get more into fluoride, uh, can you uh, tell us about? You know, this is wrapped up for now. The judge is going to be thinking about this for a while. When do we hear? You know, a conclusion on this case. When do we find out if we've seen a success here?
1: Yeah. So uh, I so things just wrapped up last Tuesday in San Francisco um and i just like i said i just got home here a couple days ago but tomorrow as we're recording this so tomorrow tuesday february 20th there's going to be the final final hearing because what the judge basically decided last week is that he wanted a week to review all the like after the epa rested their case and Fluoride action network rested their case they, Fluoride action network had i think six witnesses the epa had three so the judge who again like one of the reasons this is a historic case is because this is the first time at least in the united states That a judge which is you know legal law is being asked to judge science which is pretty unusual like so and the scientists don't like their work second-guessed by you know governments or by you know a judge because what does he know where i'm a scientist right but i will say that this judge has been he's clearly an intelligent guy he's holding his own he's keeping up he's pausing them to say okay explain to me what does point of departure mean and margin of exposure and benchmark dose analysis and i mean there's been all this jargon and stuff that i've been doing my best to keep up with the report on but the judge himself seems to be legitimately trying to understand what's going on and he hasn't been like on the government side or even on the Floyd action network side he seems to be in terms of like hey if we're going to have a system of laws and courts and whatever you would want a judge to be this neutral right. so he said he wanted to take off last week to review all that data and then tomorrow he's going to uh and this will be live on zoom if anybody wants to watch it uh he is going to have some final questions for both sides and then they get to make their closing arguments and then after that it's officially done The judge will take some more time to review, I'm assuming. I mean, he could rule right there if he wanted, but nobody's really expecting that. We expect that more than likely it'll probably be days or weeks, potentially even months before he makes a decision. Hopefully not, because he has now been very well educated on, you know, while he's sitting there to make a decision, mothers are still being, you know, dosed with fluoride. People are still being uh impacted by this and i think he understands that now and that this is something that it it is needs to be ruled on as quick as possible but that's kind of where we're at is we'll have to wait and see if he does make a decision now if he does rule in the favor of the fluoride action network which again their their job in this case was a very narrow thing it wasn't looking at all the other things that fluoride does it has to very specifically prove is fluoride a neurotoxin at the levels currently recommended by the u.s government which is uh, 0.7 milligrams per liter of of water and they are clearly showing this is another reason why i think it's been historic the judge and the epa themselves acknowledged in the last week that fluoride does cause harm they that was the first time i think on record that they're actually acknowledging that but now the debate becomes at what level and kind of like what you were saying um they i don't really even trust the levels they claim that it's fluoridated at i think it's probably even higher They claim, okay, well, we only recommend 0.7 milligrams per liter. And these studies, they're looking at 1.5 to 2 milligrams per liter. So yes, we know it's harm. There's harm, judge. This is what the EPA was saying. But it's nowhere near the levels that we allow. And there's too much uncertainty. That's basically was their whole argument is, judge, it's too uncertain. We need more studies. We need more time. You know, kick, kick the can down the road further. Whereas the Fluoride Action Network and their scientists have been showing that actually, some of the data including in the NTP study which was blocked by uh, Rachel Levine and others shows that at levels at the currently allowable levels of of North American drinking levels there's already harm and in fact last week during as we were wrapping up there was a a late-breaking study which you're probably you probably be really interested in because it was a study that was um, commissioned by Health Canada which is of course Canada's public health agency And they hired this company called Risk Sciences International to study the fluoride data because they're considering fluoridating the whole country now. Mm -hmm. And in their own study, which they decided not to publish, Health Canada decided not to publish it, but the scientists themselves went and published it separately. And in that study, which is again commissioned by the Canadian government, it said that that there is harm that they're finding at levels currently allowed in North American drinking water levels. I mean, it, it's as clear as day right there. And the interesting thing is, as I said, the Canadian government chose not to publish it. Instead, what they did last summer is they convened an expert panel, which was made up of several people who are pro fluoridation um, advocates and scientists, including one of the EPA's witnesses who testified at this trial, they commissioned their own experts to put out their own report that basically downplayed the results of it and said, like, you know, there's no no conclusive science and this and that. So I would say the UK and Canada are, as you mentioned earlier, they're taking a very similar approach to what happened in the United States yes. 80 years ago, trying to tell people it's all good, it's all rainbows and sunshine, there's nothing to worry about. But once again, the scientists themselves are trying to get the information out to the public to say, like, look, there's harm at the current levels that you allow. And the final note I'll say there is that Michael Connet was doing a good job trying to paint a picture for the judge to show him that when it came to things like lead and mercury in the past, the EPA, under their own guidelines, they chose to act even though they couldn't pinpoint at exactly what levels, you know, the harm was happening. You know, like the conversation were happening, even though they couldn't say, okay, it's exactly at whatever, they said, look, we can find harm at the very high levels. And if you apply what they call an uncertainty factor of 10, which is what the EPA is supposed to do, so they find that at this level, they're supposed to apply this uncertainty factor of 10 and and assume that the most vulnerable populations are going to be affected well before that level. Because people who have kidney issues, who can't detox things correctly, that means the fluoride is going to build up in their body. And so all the, all the government, I mean, all the Fluoride Action Network is asking is for the judge to force the EPA to do what it's done with lead and mercury and every other substance that they've regulated and treat it the same. But for some reason, they are trying to act like, oh, there's not enough data. It's too you know, uncertain. We shouldn't do anything yet. So yeah, that's kind of where it's at right now.
0: Wow. Well, Derek, uh, where can people go to support um, this, this lawsuit
1: and, and support the people fighting uh, this lawsuit? So one place I know that is doing some of the, the crowdfunding for that is uh, moms against fluoridation. I think it's just moms And I'm pretty sure they have their little donate page there. That's run by one of the mothers who is involved and is a plaintiff. And of course, fluoride is the fluoride action networks website. And I, I think they, they're doing fundraising there because, Uh what I did mention there is even if the judge finds on our side, more than likely the EPA will appeal it. It's gonna drag out for another couple years. And and even if they don't appeal, it basically goes to the EPA. They have to convene a working group and who knows how long that can take. I think we can we can imagine that they're gonna drag their feet as long as they can on this. But the fact that it's in a court, the fact that this information is being testified and and shared by these scientists, I think that alone is it makes it historic. So I hope people will uh, look more into it and just keep sharing this information. Oh, absolutely. And you know, this,
0: this is something that uh, obviously the number one thing everyone should always do in these situations is to just withdraw from the government water system and, and you know, get your own water, collect rainwater, which is illegal in a lot of places, but do it anyway. Um, you know, as I always say, fuck the government, just do it anyway. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's everyone's responsibility to not um, depend on the government for food, water, all these other things. Unfortunately, most do. Um, Derek, you know, one thing I've, I've noticed over the years and I've, I've been involved in fluoride activism since, well, since about 2010, but, you know, I'm actually doing something serious about it since about 2012, 2013, I've noticed in the past ten or so years, there's been a massive shift in awakening about fluoride. Like it's like the average person. It's not the conspiracy theorists. I was watching Alex Jones back in you know uh, twenty twelve anymore. It's like the average person. You talk to them and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's it's bad." Uh, do you notice that it's um, that the awakening is growing in the sense of um, you know talking about fluoride, or uh, is it be- getting more
1: quiet? What what do you think? I think overall, like this is one area where I would say uh, COVID skepticism, which translated to overall broader skepticism of the science and, you know, the health agencies, is helping the fluoride fight. Because maybe some folks who before COVID did, wouldn't have listened to or thought about fluoride and maybe even thought it was a conspiracy theory a lot of people woke up because of COVID obviously. And now they're like, okay, well, hmm, maybe if they, if I saw what they did with the vaccines and what they, how they treated that situation, maybe there's something else going on with the water fluoridation situation. So I do think there are more people. I mean, like I guess, like I said, back in the day when I first did it, that the first bit of activism I ever really did was going and taking those info wars. There's poison in the tap water. Same. I printed out <laughs> some posters and like started putting them on like the light poles in my neighborhood. And within a day or two, somebody tore them all down. And that like, just encouraged me a Do it again. I'm going to go further. I don't know if that would get torn down these days. I think maybe more people
0: are ready for it. That's the exact same story as mine. I mean, back in 2012, 2013, I went and got those. um, blue uh, fluoride uh, stickers. And then there's uh, some that I got from InfoWars and I would just put them up on on posts. And I remember watching this one like old lady who was obsessively tearing them down. She was super angry. She didn't work for the city or anything like that. She just went around following me as I was putting them up and like viciously ripping them down. She was like 85 years old. I didn't, you know, sometimes you just can't understand people, but uh, you know, that is one of the entrances, uh, the entries for a lot of people is when they realize they are being poisoned, uh, whether people think it's eugenics or an accident. I think it's eugenics, but, you know, uh, whatever people might think with the amount of poisons that are constantly being forced down people's throats. And in this case, quite literally without them knowing in the in the tap water, uh, it, it wakes a lot of people up to say, wait, the government doesn't have my best te- you know, intentions in mind. They uh, want no. to make me sick. Why would they want me sick? And that goes down a whole rabbit hole. But, um, before we finish it uh, today, why do they want us to be sick?
1: You know, this is a, this is a great question. And I, similar to you, like I think it does take people on that trajectory. You're like, okay, yeah. if, if they're doing this and they have this data, then what, what's the point, you know? And I, I do think it leads people to asking that question. And I would really say that up until recently, I haven't been the kind of person that would, um, Kind of you know hang my hat on the idea that they're doing this to kill us not because i don't believe in eugenics or things like that but just because i don't have the document that proves it right and i don't right. think we ever will instead you have to sort of ask questions and you you know draw conclusions and inferences and so if we have a body of data like one of the most frustrating things about this lawsuit is that the fact that this information has been widely known i mean back in 2006 the national research council in the u.s they said there was an association with lower iq in children and here we are almost 20 years later you can go back to the 1930s and the scientist named Kai Roholm studying fluoride in the Greenland and finding that the workers who were in the mines, they were getting skeletal fluorosis. So almost 100 years ago. So the idea that this data hasn't been available and the government just didn't know about it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so then if you acknowledge that, they have the data, but they continue to do this. They're dragging their feet. They're acting like they don't know about this. And maybe the kind of current scientists don't know about all that old research. But at some point, there has to be, You know, you have to ask that question. Why is this scientist who's up there testifying for the government who gets paid $500 an hour? Why is he there trying to make this as difficult and cloudy and confusing for the judge? You know, what is his motivation? What is his goal? Is he a eugenicist? Is he being paid by eugenicists? I think these are all good questions, but I will say that after all these years, I've definitely come a lot closer to feeling Comfortable saying that they are trying to kill us they being you know the larger system and people who support this does the average person in the local city council who's voting yes on water fluoridation know this i would argue not most of them are uneducated and they're just told yeah this is something we do and it's kind of like a rubber stamp of oh, this fluoride contract yeah we do that every year and most of them don't look deeper but at the top levels the highest levels the people behind pushing this program and the people behind trying to spread fluoridation around the world now absolutely they know that it's causing harm and i think it is because they want to dumb down Um, population, as we know, a population that's much easier to guide and to rule. Because think about this, a population that over time has lost IQ points because of exposure to uh, fluoride, has thyroid issues because it attacks the thyroid, and that can also impact mental health, has weakened bones, has liver and kidney problems, a calcified pineal gland. I mean, that might be a population that's a lot easier to control and manage than people who are drinking clean fresh water and not being poisoned in the air and the food. So I think overall, this is definitely one of those areas of, uh, uh, you know, sort of slow kill attacks that we're facing. And that's why if this, you know, I know it's, it's so easy to be blackpilled for many of us these days and to imagine that nothing good could ever happen, but this might be one area. And, and the fact that it's gotten this far, the, the fluoride Action Network, they deserve all the credit, Michael Conant, they're the first people ever in the United States to get a citizen petition from the EPA to a federal court. That alone is amazing. The testimonies that have been presented are amazing. If you go to The Last American Vagabond, you read my articles, you can catch up on all the details. You can listen to the interviews with the scientists. Listen in their own words. I'm not a scientist. Hear them say it themselves. Share this information with your family and friends. I truly am terrified that babies and moms are continuing to be exposed to this right now. And we've got the data. We just need to get it to more people. So thank you, Josh, for giving me a
0: chance to share this. Absolutely. I mean, uh, aluminum is one of the number one causes of Alzheimer's. It causes cancer. It causes so many things. You know, we are seeing an upside to all this lately. Um, I remember some years ago they took it out of the water in Calgary. They took it out of the water in Kelowna, British Columbia. And I remember going and interviewing the people involved in that case about 10 years ago. And one of the women that were, was involved in that case was 101 years old. And I remember talking with the, it is 10 years ago. I, I can't imagine it, Uh, honestly let's be real that she's still around but she she at the end of her life basically decided you know what i i feel so passionately about this i'm gonna do something about this and so it is possible we are seeing it um in many places um spring up and a lot a lot more people talk about it and push for this to get taken out of the water which is incredibly important we also have places like the uk that's trying to put it in so we just need more people more foot soldiers more people on the ground talking about this talking to different people educating people on this spreading the information as far and wide as they humanly can and of course I'm um, supporting what uh the journalism that uh Jer- Derek Bros does here so as we close this off um Derek can you tell everyone all the different places that they could find you you mentioned a few already but I want to make sure people can uh reach your videos and content
1: yeah, thank you for that again. So my main website is theconsciousresistance.com. And if you go to the website, you'll see you scroll down a little bit, you see we have some categories so you can look at topics of all the different research I've done. You click on the water fluoridation category, you see everything I've done before the lawsuit, but the last four years focused on this lawsuit. And again, thelastamericanvagabond.com. You can find my author page there and uh, look at the fluoride trial page and you'll see everything I've written over the last four years um and yeah support everybody who's involved in this work support the people who are trying to get the information out i'm going to continue to report on it whatever happens next and i encourage you guys to just spread the information you know the way the way i've seen this is the lawsuit and the work that they've put in and the data that's come out and some of the interviews that I've gotten and the statements these scientists have made. Now you've got more ammo to go to your local council, your town council, city council to bring that information to them so that if we can't stop it at the federal level with the EPA, then at least now you've got more tools to use in your local fight. So thanks again, Josh.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. And I'm looking forward to getting uh, some updates from you in the near future on this.